Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is the first episode of 2022. Happy New Year to everyone. Very exciting. New year for us. Kind of. Because right now it's still 2021 when we're recording, but we're pretending because this will come out in 2022. (laughs) New Year's Eve here, so really, really at the end. Almost there. New Year's Eve for me tomorrow. Do you have any exciting New Year's Eve plans? Not really, because COVID has gone pretty crazy here, there, everywhere. So we are having a very small gathering at our house this afternoon. I think there's six adults and six kids or something like that. So something very small. It's super, really hot here. Like the sun is already burning. It's eight o'clock in the morning. So we are going to put make a big water slide outside for the kids and just have food and a few drinks and it'll probably be an early-ish night, but nothing much at all planned. What about you? Um... Not much. I'm just going to go hang out with my sister and her fiancé, with my fiancé, so many fiancés. <laughs> just play play some board games. Got Cards Against Humanity. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah. I feel so. like everyone seems to be having a pretty low-key one this year. I haven't heard of anyone going too crazy. Yeah, I mean, I haven't actually like gone out for New Year's for years, I feel like, because I just get so tired and lazy. And I hate crowds. Even before the pandemic, I hated crowds. I get very anxious. So I'd rather just like stay home, have a chill time. For me, it's always about getting home on New Year's. Like If you want to have a few drinks, there is absolutely pretty much no way to get home. It's always just too hard. Yeah, that's why it's like I'm going to sleep at my like parents' house and where I live. Well, not where I live, where I grew up, where my sister lives, so I'm staying there. <laughs> So you don't have to get home. Yeah, so then I'll just go home the next day so you don't have to worry about it. So yeah, it's been a crazy time. Yeah, and you just got out of um, isolation. Uh, Also, I think not too long after we recorded our last episode, we had our little break. So I took my kids away on vacation. We'd been there for under 24 hours and someone who we were there with said, oh, I feel a bit sick. So we did, (laughs) we all did a COVID test. Everyone was negative except for this one person. Um, I don't even still don't even know how that happened because there's someone who's been with them still 24-7 since then and they still are negative too. So it's crazy. Um, we all came home just in case we ended up being positive. We isolated the rules here where you have to have a test straight away as soon as you've been around as a close contact and then have another test on day six. So we did that and we were all still negative on day six, which I think was two days ago. Um, so we stayed at home for basically a week over Christmas, had our quietest Christmas ever. It was very, it was nice. Like it was very lazy and I don't think I've ever had so many naps in my life, but it's, um, <laughs> very different to what we were expecting and what we usually do. So, you know, I guess you've just got to roll with it these days and I'm so grateful we didn't get sick yet, but no doubt it will come soon because it seems like every second person now has COVID here and everywhere. Yeah. Mm. Well, so far, so good, I guess. I saw that one of our 
our politicians have said basically we're all going to get Omicron. And then I saw another mm-hmm. meme and it's like, when, when you said we we're all going to get Omicron, I didn't mean in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> so it just seems <laughs> like everyone just all of a sudden has it. But thankfully, no, no. most of the people I know who have had it, it's been mild, thankfully. Um, the person I know who got it is actually quite unwell generally anyway, and their symptoms have been super mild. So, so thankful and grateful for that, which is good. Yeah, sucks. COVID mm. returns. Hopefully. I saw that, you know, I don't want to get into a whole COVID discussion, but I saw in South Africa where it kind of kicked off this round that the cases have dropped dramatically, which I feel like is a really good thing. It seems to have peaked quite quickly. Yeah. So fingers crossed. They're like ahead of us. Yeah. Everyone's watching them to see what happens. So hopefully that is the trend around the world that it peaks quite soon and we just get on with it again. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) And my cat's in the litter as scheduled. <laughs> Is, are we recording a podcast if my cats aren't in the litter? <laughs> At least they're consistent. <sighs> so annoying. <laughs> All right. So for first podcast of 2022, we're going to be talking about two missing kiddos that kind of haven't gotten too much media attention, strangely enough. You know, some cases get tons of attention and some don't. We're going to be talking about uh, missing five-year-old Michael Vaughn, which he went missing in July 2021 and hasn't gotten too much coverage, even though it's a missing kid and yeah. it seems like he was maybe abducted. Um, not a lot out there on him. I made a post on our Instagram about it asking if anyone, you know, had any details or anything they wanted to share about the case. And so many people said, I've never even heard of this one. So Yeah, it's weird. Mm, gone under the radar. Yeah. We'll talk about it. And then we're also going to be talking about missing Dulce Alaves. She is also five years old and she went missing from a park in New Jersey in 2019 and pretty much has been absolutely no sign of her ever since. So we're going to get into those. Hopefully it could bring some more awareness to them because they are both pretty interesting cases in terms of missing kids. I mean, not interesting in the sense that there's not a ton of information out there, but there's enough where you're like, hmm, what's going on here? I feel like they're both probably likely to be stranger abductions, so it's that's a very rare phenomenon. Yeah, yeah I guess that's kind of what I meant. Yeah. I feel like we keep being like, stranger abductions never happen, but here's a stranger <laughs> abduction. And then Cleo as well. Like, we've had a lot in yeah. the last little while, yeah. And possibly summer. We don't, we don't really yeah. know. But, yeah. But yeah. So we're going to start off getting into Michael Vaughn. I need you to know. He is such a sweet, fun, exciting little boy. He brings such joy and love to our family and everyone that he knows and that knows him. I, I am asking for your help. I am asking for everyone's help. Please, please, if you know anything, if you know anything at all, you know something please I am begging this is my baby this is my son I need him home I want him home 
please, I need your help to bring him home. Michael Joseph Vaughan is a boisterous five-year-old little boy who loves camping, monster trucks, and playing in the dirt. His nickname is Monkey. Michael has been missing from Fruitland, Idaho since July 27, 2021. So that's about six months at the time that we're recording this. Uh, We've got a little clip of Michael baking cookies with his mum. You can hear how excited he is in it. Stay back in the stove. It doesn't feel high. Come on, Stay back, stay back. Real homemade cookies. Fruitland is around 50 miles from Boise. It's named after apple orchards that surround the community and its slogan is the Big Apple of Idaho. At the 2010 census, the city had a total population of 4,684, which was up from 3,805 in 2000. So it's quite a small little rural community. A little bigger than Delphi. (laughs) The police force is made up of just 12 police officers there. So I guess when it gives you an idea when something like this happens, they may not be ready or, you know, have the most equipment and resources to deal with something like this. It's not something that happens often where they're like, yeah. all right, we, we know exactly how to handle this. Yeah. They seem to have done a fairly good job though, which we'll go into, but yeah, it's yeah, just a little, so little small town is basically the point of all that information. Um, Michael's mother is Brandy Neal and his dad is Tyler Vaughan. Aria is Michael's little sister. I believe at the time she, this happened, she would, would have been around 18 months old. So she'd be around two-ish now. The four live together at their home in Fruitland. I believe that Michael may have also had some older half-siblings who lived elsewhere. I think his mother may have been married before. It doesn't really seem relevant here, so we won't intrude on their privacy and go into that. But basically, he lived with his mother and father and his little sister. Michael has been described as a very friendly and sociable child. Online comments say that there were a few houses in the neighborhood that Michael knew he was allowed to go to, and he would often go to visit those houses and families to try and find some other kids to play with. This is a clip from News Nation of Michael's mum, Brandy, talking about their town. We built, we built a fort and a slide, and he should be here. So it's been a very, very hard day. I'm sorry. It's Brandy Neal and her bundled two-year-old daughter, Aria, meet us outside their home in Fruitland, a rural farmland city, population 5,000, an hour outside Boise. Describe the neighborhood and Fruitland, what kind of street and community this is. They're all quiet and um, friendly. Um, It's just... It's a safe place. July 27, I believe Brandy was at work and Tyler was at home with Michael and Aria. Michael had been playing his Nintendo. At around 6.40 p.m. that night, Tyler left the room where Michael was playing to go and change Aria's diaper. Some reports I've read said the diaper was, you know, really messy and it took him a long time to clean it up. But there's also some reports I've read that he ordered pizza for their dinner at that time. Either way, he was around away from Michael for around 15 to 20 minutes. When he returned to the room, Michael was nowhere to be seen. Tyler started looking really quickly and he soon became frantic when he was nowhere to be found. He called Brandy and told her what was going on and he also called authorities and the police arrived quickly. Brandy left work and when she got home, she was met with flashing lights and police cars. Neighbours told police that Michael had been seen knocking on doors in the area right around the time he disappeared. Brandy has since spoken to the media and said she doesn't know why he would be knocking but that he was very friendly. She said it was all just a big blur. 
she, uh, she said she sped back and forth down the neighborhood streets asking if people had seen Mike, Michael while Tyler spoke to police. I'm just screaming that he didn't wander off. There's no way in hell. We've got a clip here of Brandy talking to News Nation about Michael going outside to find neighbors to play with. He would have come out of the garage. Mm-hmm. Um, the front door is pretty hard to get out of, and you can hear right. that opening. Yeah. She says her son was looking for older neighborhood kids to play with. He went to a neighbor's house. He went to another neighbor's house and another neighbor's house. Typical, she says, for a summer night here, but with Brandy at work and her husband inside checking on the toddler and ordering dinner, neither parent knew Michael took off. They're now approaching month five with no answers. So as someone who has kids, because I really don't, I'm really bad with ages of kids. Like if you say five years old to me, I'm not, I can't like think of exactly mm-hmm. what that is, but do you think five years old is a little young to be able to just like kind of go out and wander around like that? I, I personally do. Like obviously, you know, I know it sounds like a different situation for them because it's kind of rural, small town. I guess everyone knows everyone, but five seems young to me. Um, but maybe that's all what, you know, that's how it is there. I don't know. Like I know everyone has different experiences, but five, especially to be going out. Like oh, I know she said that she didn't know why he was out at that time. Maybe it was unusual for him to go out at 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night, but it does seem unusual um that that was an, a behavior they were okay with and they encouraged um i don't know it just seems very young but i guess everyone's different and it seemed young too i don't know i'm also i feel like i'm always more paranoid just doing all the true crime stories yeah. all the time where i'm like i i will need to like always be able to see them because of these fucking stories but i mean i even remember as i was definitely older than five i was like in at least like fifth sixth grade so probably double the age of five and we would like walk around to our neighbor's houses at my friend's house but we would always tell our parent also maybe that's what she meant by she didn't doesn't know what he was doing out there because we would always be like oh we're gonna go walk down the road to so-and-so's house or we're gonna go see if anyone wants to play down the road where it seems like in this circumstance he just wandered out yeah it's very strange and even for the neighbors to have kind of seen him you know, knocking on the doors. I wonder if they were just used to that. Like, I would think it was a bit, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how much attention you'd pay if you were, say, driving past and saw it or whatever. But yeah, it does seem a bit odd. So the first missing and endangered child alert went out at 8.20 p.m. There were four different alerts that were sent to emails, phones, and text messages, and they were issued to area residents until around 11.20 p.m. that night. Michael's image and information went out to a nationwide law enforcement database, which is the NCIC or the National Crime Information Center. So things kicked off pretty quickly. Um, They took it seriously from the start, which I guess is a good thing. Um, And they started searching straight away. So the area near Michael's home is rural and farmlands. Neighbors all came out that night to start searching for him. Dogs were boarding fairly quickly and they tracked Michael's scent to the end of his street away from the farm field to the right of their house and then it stopped abruptly. So I'm assuming that's kind of implying that either he was picked up in a car or, you know, there's not many other reasons why the scent would stop unless he's just all of a sudden not there anymore. Yeah, it definitely seems like was put into a car. Yeah. So I had a look. I found their house online. I won't give out the address, but it's all public record. They've just got, like, it's a smaller single-story house, um, you know, looks very, resi- you know, when I say residential, there's a, there's a few houses on the street and then down towards the end of the street it does go into just open fields. It's not, you know, I don't know what they end up growing there usually if it ends up being corn or whatever, so that might block the view. But in Google Street View it's just a flat 
field you can see for miles probably I would guess you know it's just flat open green grass um, yeah ex- extremely flat yeah yeah like there's not nothing you know I, I don't know how tall the grass obviously gets but you would think that if he was around there they could have found him especially with how quickly they seem to have started searching yeah so even though they started quickly the search for Michael was pretty fruitless it went on for days and weeks on August 4 just over a week after he disappeared The Fruitland Chief of Police, J.D. Huff, issued a statement with some information about the search. It's really long, so I'll put it on the blog and I'll just read some of it. So, since the time of notification, the Fruitland Police Department, FBI, Idaho State Police, with assistance from the Boise Police Department and 13 different Idaho law enforcement agencies, have conducted complete and methodical and thorough searches. They've searched 200 residential homes and properties and interviews with all of the residents. He said, five-year-olds can get into things. We have looked through nearly 200 garbage cans, drain canals and irrigation ditches and pumped a septic tank in the area that had a makeshift lid. We have gathered over 60 different video files from residential and business security cameras and are combing through that data as we speak. So by then they'd had 163 tips um, and they've estimated that the number of man hours is in the two and a half thousand hour range and that doesn't include fire, EMS, search and rescue or the hours put in by the community. So basically he just goes on and on and asks for their help still, says that five-year-olds are crafty, can get into small places, Um, and he also said that they'd searched 3,000 acres of farmlands with certified canine teams. They'd used helicopters, drones, boats, kayaks, paragliders. So it's like a really – gives you an idea of kind of the scale and the enormity of the search that they were conducting. And he also said that they intended to get a dive team um, to search some ponds in the area soon. And he said that they will continue the search as long as resources are available. Yeah. So like you said before, how even though it's a small town with a small amount of officers, they seem to get a lot of resources and did some big searches very quickly. And the FBI and other, like they, to have that many agencies involved, we'll talk about a case later where, you know, that clearly doesn't happen as quickly. But yeah, it's crazy that they were all in there ready to go. So even though the search started quickly, there didn't seem to actually be a whole lot happening. One month after he disappeared, police issued another statement. Again, it's long. I'll put it on the blog. But it just talks about, you know, Michael's family. It says, our hearts with Michael's family. None of us have walked in their shoes. We only know this is a difficult time, yet they continue to be cooperative and understanding. Police have always said that his family have been nothing but cooperative. So I guess that's one plus in this situation that the family seem to not likely be a suspect. Always a good sign, cooperative. (laughs) Yeah. And part of this statement also includes a statement from the family. So it says things like, we would like to thank everyone for the continued outpour of love, prayers and support from the community. The countless hours that law enforcement agencies and volunteers have put in and continue to push forward is bringing in bringing Michael home is nothing short of amazing. So there's not a huge amount of actual updates in there. It's just a thank you from the family, a plea from the police to still get people to bring in more information. In September, an anonymous donor put up a $10,000 cash reward for information in Michael's case. J.D. Huff, the chief of police, said that Brandy and Tyler had been 100% cooperative, so he's still reiterating this a few months in. He said that they were handling the situation as well as anyone could be and that the case is heartbreaking. By early September, 370 tips and leads had been investigated in this case. A bit later in September, the cornfields in Fruitland had been harvested and cleared and no trace of Michael had been found. I guess that's where you would have thought maybe he could have been 
hidden or lost. Yeah, and he would be found there, but he wasn't. They also finished up searching the irrigation drainages in the area and they didn't find any trace of him. By late September, the investigators had looked into more than 446 tips and the reward for information had grown to $26,000 by this time. So they're good. They, you know, keep releasing updates. On October 8, they um, said that they had received another 25 tips since their last update. And they also released some information about vehicles and people seen in the area. They said, we are seeking the public's assistance with the identification of the driver of a 2016 to 2020 model year. White Honda Pilot seen leaving the area on Southwest 8th Street around 6.47 p.m. We are also seeking assistance with the identification of the driver of a 2010 to 2011 Blue Dodge Avenger, which was seen leaving the area on Southwest 8th, but immediately turning right and heading south on South Whiteley Drive. So they've got photos and CCTV of these cars. They're very clear footage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they just seem to be driving down the street. It's good, good quality house camera, whoever yes, has it. definitely. Very and clear. They also wanted to get information on two individuals that were seen near the Splash Pad and Crestview Park in the evening that Michael went missing. The first is a male adult with dark hair and facial hair, wearing dark coloured shorts, no, short, no shirt, and he was seen jogging on the sidewalk at around 6.15pm. The second is a male adult with dark hair who was wearing a white T-shirt and black shorts, and he was seen walking off Southwest 8th Street down into the park area plus past Splash Pad. They've said it's very important to understand that these people are not suspects or people of interest, but it is important to talk to each of them to help us complete the picture of events that took place that evening. So as far as I know, they haven't been able to rule either of those out, um, and I don't think they've ever come forward and said that they have. Obviously, they could have, and they just haven't made it public, but I don't think they've ever publicly said that they've ruled out those two men. Mm-hmm. So by November 19, 2021, the reward had grown to $51,000. J.D. Huff held a press conference and he said that there is a large probability that Michael was abducted because the agency has made no headway with their ground searches. The Fruitland Police, the FBI and other agencies have combed through thousands of acres and found absolutely nothing. He said they've searched with helicopters, drones, boats, divers, dogs and on foot and they are following every single lead. Brandy was at this press conference. And she has also on her social media over the months made many, many appeals for information and for Michael to return. We've got a clip here of her speaking. It has been 115 days. 115 days. He has not been home. And we need every one of you. I need you. I need your help to bring my baby home. I need you to see his beautiful smile. I need you to see how happy he is. That smile was one of our most favorite camping trips. He he got to see his first beaver dam and he got to catch so many frogs that day. And he was so excited, his beautiful blue eyes. He was so happy that day because I promised we would go get ice cream cones. And he laughed so hard because his baby sister got to have her first ice cream cone and it was everywhere. All of her appeals kind of go along this way and this is what she said in full at the time. It said, 
If you have Michael and you're reading this, please release him to a hospital, fire station, police station, or any public area where he may be recognized and can seek help. Do it anonymously. Drop him off and go. If this has if this was something that has spun way out of control and you're not sure how to back- backpedal, now releasing Michael unharmed is the first step. Look at how his family has been affected by this. Look at how many people love Michael. Think of all the broken hearts you'd mend by ending this nightmare. Think of the beautiful reunication with his family. This has to weigh so heavily on you, this huge secret you have to hide, living a double life. Lying and hiding from your own family and friends, always looking, having to look over your shoulder and wondering if today is the day I'm found out. Well, I'm telling you that day will come. Please do the right thing. Please release him willingly. This was an awful decision, but you can do the right thing now. You can also get yourself some help. You need it. You can make this better, not worse. You're capable of making good choices and of doing what is right. Let this be one of them. Please give his family closure. Let Michael come home. And they've got some hashtags if you want to look them up. It's bring monkey home, monkey's army, and then obviously Michael Vaughan. So um, we spoke earlier about how this case didn't really get a whole lot of media attention outside of the area. And Brandy, his mother, has also made some comments about that in the press. She told the Idaho Press, I don't feel like he's getting the attention he deserves. I don't want his case to go cold. I want him home. I want every single person in this world to see his beautiful face and know exactly where he belongs. There's a retired FBI agent called Jennifer Coffendaffer, and she has basically spoken about the chance that Michael was abducted. And she said that there's a very small percentage of kids who are stranger who are abducted by strangers. And she said it's around 4%. She also said, I believe over 60 to 62% of stranger abductions occur right by the residents. Hmm. Interesting. Sounds like Michael was likely abducted right near his home by the, if those cars, one of those cars were involved, it sounds like it happened. He didn't wander and he was taken a distance away. It seems like it happened pretty locally to his house. Yeah, like right at the end of the road. So many people have also questioned why there was no Amber Alert issued for Michael. And we see that a lot in all missing people, missing child cases. People will message us and say, why is there no Amber Alert? And basically there's a criteria that needs to be met. The Fritland Chief of Police said the highest probability at the time of notification was that he wandered off. As a result, we did not meet several of the criteria necessary for the Amber Alert, and I'm sorry to report that we still do not meet this criteria. Some of the criteria for issuing an Amber Alert is that the child must be known to have been abducted. The abduction must have occurred within 12 hours of the initial activation of the Amber Alert. The child is under 17. Um, Law enforcement must believe the child is in imminent danger of serious bodily harm or death. There must be enough descriptive information to believe that an Amber Alert will assist in the recovery of a child and the missing child must be entered into the NCIC. They didn't issue an Amber Alert for him, but they issued the um, Endangered Missing Person Alert, which I guess seems like a good alternative. And for the Endangered Missing Person Alert, there's still notifications are sent through email, text messages, social media posts, and the alerting program code red amber alerts use road signs and send phone alerts and provide suspect vehicle descriptions whereas the endangered person one is a little different but still seems pretty decent at least but then it just makes you because some states seem more strict about the criteria than others because right now i looked it up the only active amber alerts right now are for um lena Cahill, who is missing in Texas, that we might talk a little bit about at the end, and Summer Wells, who we've talked about. Both of them are very similar to Michael in the sense that there's basically no information. Don't even know if they were actually abducted. 
And it's the same as Michael Vaughn, really. So yeah. it's like, I don't get why some get pushed through and others don't. Yeah, I agree. And some, yeah, it seems like the, this, the Fruitland police were quite, and still are quite adamant that his case doesn't meet the Amber Alert criteria. But yeah, I agree, especially in relation to Summer Wells, for example, it's quite similar. Like they were both seen at home and then all of a sudden apparently weren't there again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's strange. It just seems like some states can force them through. With Jake and Amber Claire, that was another one. They took ages. Like that, their Amber Alert wasn't issued within 12 hours of the abduction. No, and they had a car and suspect, the father. Yeah. Like Summer and Lena both don't have any of that either. Yeah, so I don't, yeah, I don't know how they work it out. But it's good that there's at least that other alert. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So on Christmas Eve 2021, Fruitland locals held a candlelight vigil for Michael. This info is from KVTB. It said the 30-minute event consisted of opening comments and prayers, a moment of silence for the public to light their candles. They sang Silent Night as a community song and Michael's family issued a statement and a closing prayer. His mother Brandy said, we will never give up hope, my love. We are here to light your way home. The Fruitland Police gave an update then of search efforts over the last few weeks and said that more ground searches have been conducted in a remote forested area. The total number of leads received since Michael disappeared has risen to 738. Idaho State Police and the FBI are still assisting with the investigation and um, the Fruitland Police also made a Facebook post and it said, we continue to comb through the data collected since July 27, 2021, and it's a monumental task, but we remain committed and steadfast in our efforts. As most of us prepare to spend a Christmas holiday gathered with family and friends, we ask you to keep those who are unable to gather in your prayers, specifically five-year-old Michael Joseph Vaughan. There will be an empty seat at his family's table and for many of us in this community, an empty place in our hearts until Michael comes home. So that is really essentially the latest update. I've just had a look this morning, which is 31st of December-ish, my time. Um, there's nothing else besides the candlelit vigil. Michael is described as three feet, seven inches tall. He weighs around 50 pounds with blonde hair and blue eyes. He was wearing a blue Minecraft sweatshirt and dark blue briefs, and he also answers to the nickname Monkey. I know that you've said that you saw an interview that said Brandy sleeps on the couch every night because she wants to be able to hear if he comes and knocks on the door or calls her from outside. That's heartbreaking. I know, that made me so sad. <laughs> I always, you know, you hear often of people who, when their family member goes missing, they never end up, like, moving from the house, for example, because they're, and I guess it's a bit more, you know, invalid these days with not as many home phones. But in the old days, what if they try and call the home phone and they don't, you know, things well, especially like that. Like a a little kid too, like if he was lost in the area, maybe he could manage to wander back home somehow, or maybe he knows his address. Yeah, like I guess you think if she, you know she's pled for someone to drop him off, so maybe he, if they drop him off in the area, he'll know how to get home. Yeah. In terms of theories in Michael's case, I have read some online comments about there being sex offenders in the area. I guess this is always a possibility with any missing child. I did read that there was someone who's an unregistered sex offender nearby. The police don't seem to be. Um, like I'm, I'm sure they've looked into it, but I mean, it doesn't seem to be a major theory of theirs. They don't, they haven't said that they've, they haven't named anyone as a suspect in particular. Um, I feel like they, with like missing kid cases, they usually kind of check in on the sex offenders in the area pretty early. Yeah, I would agree. But I was just thinking, I don't think the parents are involved at all. I never got that vibe. Um, I do think the only probably parent involvement is that he was left alone and was unsupervised yeah. for X amount of time. So that's about, yeah. I, I think, to the extent of the parent involvement. I don't think they hurt him or are covering up anything else. Yeah. 
And it just, it does really seem like a stranger abduction, which is super scary, but just insane to think how the stars like aligned for this person of what are the chances that the 15, 20 minutes that um, Michael was unsupervised, he wanders outside. And in that small period of time, there's also this abductor out there, which the mom did say in an interview with, I think, News Nation, she, her theory was that someone had been watching and maybe saw that he liked to go outside and kind of go over to the neighbor's house and was kind of waiting for their opportunity to strike, which seems like it would make the most sense. And I guess if, you know, the kind of wandering around to neighbors was something that he did, to say he did it even a few times a week, you'd only have to watch the house for, you know, three or four days to know mm-hmm. that this happens sometimes. And he does always seem to be alone when this happens. So I guess if you were that dedicated, it wouldn't be like, it's not something that he never, ever did. And you were just hoping for the chance. Yeah. And I found it just another like sign of how this case doesn't have as much publicity as some other ones. I usually like to go on Reddit and like look up the cases and see what people are saying, what their theories are, what people are talking about. And this one, there really wasn't even much on Reddit about it. There's a few threads, but they only had a couple comments on them. But one thing someone said, someone commented, am I missing something? Because this doesn't seem to add up. A dad goes somewhere else in the house, orders pizza, and leaves his son alone for 15, 20 minutes. During that narrow time frame, the boy leaves his house by a side door, walks down the street, and at that same exact time, a pedophile drives by and abducts him. Seems like astronomical odds that the two would be in such perfect proximity. Yeah. And another person brought up another case that they were local to. And they replied and said, there was a little girl in Tucson where I lived decades ago whose mom asked her to ride her bike to the mailbox down the street. At the exact time a pedophile was driving by, he intentionally lightly hit her bike with his car and she fell and he snatched her. She was found dead in the desert months later. Forensic Files has an episode on this. And that case was Vicki Lynn Hoskinson. And the person said, I think pedophiles drive around just looking for unattended kids. In her case, it would seem highly coincidental if we heard about the kidnapping first and then later heard about the circumstances, but that's how it happened. So it does seem like it happens sometimes, even though it's just like mind blowing. Well, I guess it has to happen sometimes. You know, I guess if someone has these urges and these, you know, and if they just all of a sudden see a child, like it would literally probably only take, you know, a few seconds to put the child in the car, mm-hmm. especially a little five-year-old. I guess one other theory too is that kind of along the lines of what you just spoke about is maybe it was an accident. Maybe he was walking to his neighbors to find someone to play with and someone hit him with a car and he's covering that up and it wasn't actually an abduction as such, which would make sense about it. You know, if it's not as planned and calculated, it could have just been an accident that someone is covering up. Yeah. But I guess you would think people would have heard something or, you know, something like that. Well, you just made me think how they have like the CCTV of those cars. That's pretty clear. I wonder if they have him at all on yeah. any of the cameras like going around. So just to get like a better idea of where he went. Yeah. Another comment said, uh, according to the parents and neighbors, he'd done that in the past too, going to the neighbor's houses. He is a bit notorious in the neighborhood for being hard to keep track of. So while the dad was distracted, he took the opportunity to go play outside. Really just an extremely unfortunate, perfect storm of circumstances. Such so as backs up the claim that like he seems to be a little rambunctious and always kind of sneaking off. A little Houdini. Mm-hmm. The house, like the house itself is quite small. It's 1,300 square feet, which I think, I don't, I'm not totally familiar with feet as a measurement, but I think that's quite small. Um, so like in saying that, you know, it's not a... Um, 
you know. It's not a huge house. No, like it's, it's, it is a little bit hard to understand how he could have maybe, I don't know, opened a door and got out when the dad was just in the other room. But, uh, you know, I guess these things happen. And if he's on the phone ordering pizza. One interview the mom did, she said that it's one of the ones I put a clip of in the beginning, but the mom says that he would have gone out. They may they leave the garage door open. She said he would have had to go out the garage because the front door to open it is very loud. So yeah. normally he would go out the garage and you can't really hear it. It looks like there's a main front door that you got maybe one or two steps, like it's a little bit raised, but to the left of that is the garage. And then right next to the garage, there's another little single door. So Mm, I don't know, maybe, yeah, that might be the door that she was kind of referring to. So there is a proper front door, but then there's also what looks like a garage. And maybe that's the side door that the dad said he must have gone out of. And if that's the case, it seems like he was trying to be like sneaky and kind of sneak out quietly. (laughs) (laughs) Knew what he was doing. So, uh, yeah, I think my theory in this one is that it must be either a stranger abduction or something that a stranger is covering up yeah i agree i I know i have read online i know some people do think the parents may have been covering something up Um, i think people always think that though people always want to have some conspiracy theory yeah Uh, have some they just want to be like different and have the different devil's advocate opinion so i feel like in any case no matter how unsuspicious the parents are people will always say that and i haven't actually heard much from tyler it seems like in this case brandy is again the family mouthpiece there's always seems to be one main person um I, yeah he maybe he, he probably just feels super guilty yeah and i you know some people just aren't good at addressing the public and being public so i guess that could be why that is yeah so I think that's it for Michael's case. If anything else comes up, we'll give you some updates and we'll put a clip in here. But it seems to be a pretty, I don't want to say cold because it hasn't been too long yet, but there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of activity going on at the moment. Hopefully behind the scenes there is, but yeah, not crossed. a lot, a lot of info out there. So another one, it is similar in some ways, but different in some ways. Similar in the sense that they basically vanished without a trace. So we're going to talk about missing five-year-old Dulce Maria Alves. Dulce was last seen at Bridgeton City Park in Bridgeton, New Jersey on the afternoon of September 16, 2019. Dulce and her little brother Manuel, he was three at the time, lived in Bridgeton with their maternal grandparents. Dulce and Manuel's mother, her name is Noema, she was pregnant at the time and lived in a room at a house nearby. She was only 14 when she had Dulce and shared joint custody of the two children with her parents. Dulce's father, he was in Sinaloa, Mexico at the time of her disappearance. He hadn't been part of her life since he was deported when she was three. Um, Bridgeton, New Jersey is a small city about 45 minutes south of Philadelphia, tucked between fields and farms. Nearly 50% of the population there is Hispanic, according to the census. So around 4 p.m. on September 16th, 2019, which was a Monday, CCTV captured the last known images of Dulce. Before going to the park, Noema took Dulce, Manuel, and Noema's eight-year-old younger sister. So the mom's younger sister is a little bit older than Dulce. And I mean, Noema, she's only 19 at the time. So um, so she's watching all these kids and they go to the store and they get some ice cream before they head to the park. And that is where they're captured on CCTV. So you can see in the picture, Dulce, she's wearing some like little checkered pants with flowers on them, a yellow shirt, and they're getting some ice creams. So shortly after, the family went to Bridgeton City Park. Dulce and her younger brother, Manuel, they got out of the car and ran off towards the swings to play as they usually would. The swings were only about 30 yards away from the car, they said. 
So we have some pictures of the park here. Looks like a standard park. Yeah. Like it looks pretty open and clear. So, you know, I could kind of see how if you're sitting in the car park, you would still be able to keep an eye on the kids. Yeah. Um, It's not like it's really wooded or anything like that. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like massive, but. Noema stayed in the car with her younger sister. She was finishing off a scratch-off lottery ticket, and she was helping the younger sister with some homework. Noema said that from the car, you could see the entire park, except for where the swings were, which is, of course, where the kids ran off to because it was kind of down a little hill, so it made it harder to see the swings. But it still wasn't very far away. Noema, she was on Dr. Phil. You, I feel like I'm always using Dr. Phil clips. But they're, just, they're just like readily accessible and give good information. I'm not a Dr. Phil stan or anything. It's just, just the way it is. So, sorry. I'm, I don't work for them. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So she was on Dr. Phil and this is a clip of her talking about the day that they disappeared with him. You pulled up to the park, was there a place to park facing towards the park? Yes, beside the basketball courts, there's a parking lot there. And you could see the playground, except the swings. When we got here, both of my kids went running towards the park with their ice cream, and my sister stood with me at the car. Dulce and her brother were playing at the park. Could you see them from there? Yes, but I couldn't see the swings, because there's like a hill. A bit of a hill? Yeah. How long had they been out of sight? Was it like a minute or five minutes or 10 minutes? Or um, five to 10. Five to 10 minutes. And they're out of sight, but you know they're in the park and they're, mm-hmm. they're playing. And you figure they'll drift back into view here in a minute? Yes. Okay, but tell me what happened. Um, when we, me, me and my sister didn't saw them inside, we came down from the car and we went and looked for them. You don't see them for a bit, so you get out of the car? Yes. I just walked towards the park and I found my son crying, just standing there. And how old's your sister? Eight. Eight. Okay, so you and your eight-year-old sister, you say, we haven't seen him for a while. What made you get out of the car and go? Because it was weird, because we didn't see them, because they usually play and they don't go out of sight. So you thought that's unusual? Yes. So that triggered and you better go check. Mm-hmm. So after... Noema hadn't seen the kids for 10 minutes or so. She got out of the car to see what they were up to. And she found Dulce's younger brother alone crying with his ice cream on the ground. So there's some confusion here because there's also reports that Manuel came back to the car crying to get his mom. But she says in Dr. Phil and in some other um, interviews that I listened to today that she got out of the car after not seeing them surface for a bit and went to go check on them. So not sure which is actually what happened. When they asked Manuel where Dulce was, he said that she ran towards some red maintenance shed next to the playground where they keep, like, the lawn equipment and lawnmowers and stuff. So Noema looked around for Dulce, but she couldn't find her and called police at 4.51 p.m. Just to summarize so far, (laughs) this all happened pretty fast. They were seen at the store on CCTV around 4. Around 4.20 is when that is when she couldn't find her. When they approached the brother, he was crying. And then by 4.51, they were calling the police. So this all happened relatively quickly. It's not like they were unsupervised for hours. hours. Yeah, so it really was only a short amount of time. This is a little more of that clip of Noema talking about finding the younger brother crying and searching the areas and about the sheds. She kind of explains the situation a little more. And, and he was crying. Yes. And what did you say? I told him, where's your sister? 
-huh. And he just pointed behind some buildings. I looked behind these buildings and I couldn't find them. What kind of buildings are they? They keep equipment there, okay. like, so they could cut the grass around the park and everything. I came down the path looking for her, yelling her name, and she wasn't answering. How many people were in the park? No one. There were just girls in the basketball court. Uh, but there was nobody else in the park? No. When I got there, I just saw a little girl and a little boy coming out of the park when my son and daughter went running to Lorsa Park. Ever since, there's been no trace of Dulce or the ice cream that she had. So that must have went with her. Noema said in an interview she would never run off, she would never walk by herself or do something like that. This is the first time she did it. So the search for, the search for Dulce escalated quickly. Law enforcement and locals joined forces to try to locate her. The FBI got involved fairly quickly, and an Amber Alert was issued the day after she disappeared. So she's another one that got an Amber Alert really with no, there was no information on an abductor at the time, on a car at the time, which is kind of usually like the circumstances. But she got one, so that's good. Police interviewed witnesses who were in the vicinity at the time and got a description of a possible male suspect. The man is described as a light-skinned man, possibly Hispanic, about 5'6 to 5'8, with a thin build. He had acne on his chin. He was wearing a black shirt, red pants, orange sneakers, possibly Nike brand. He allegedly put Dulce into a red van with a sliding door and tinted windows and left the park with her. Chief Michael Jamari with the Bridgeton Police Department said, We don't have any solid suspects. We are investigating all the possibilities. We have video surveillance that we've gathered from all of this area as much as we could obtain. So on September 18th, a vigil was held at the park. Dulce's aunt spoke to the media. It's also just to note the family, the mom. English is not their primary language. It's their yeah. second language. No way that they do speak it decently enough. Um, so the aunt said, it's more harder for us because they judging us that we had something to do with it when we don't. And then here's a clip of Dulce's mother speaking to the media. I want to, I want to thank the, thank the law inform, enforcement for searching and investigating all the media for covering my daughter case since day one. Also, everybody that has taken time out of their schedule to go out and look for her, all the prayers for my family and I, we all greatly appreciate it, appreciate it all. I beg you all, please don't give up on my, on my dulce. Let's keep pushing to find her safe. Please continue to pass along her pictures on social media and passing out flyers. Don't be afraid to call any tips. If you were here in the park that day, please double check your phone for pictures and any, any little bit may help. Um, I brought her favorite toy, Frozen. She loves to play Frozen. She always used to sing it. She always used to tell me to put it, put her song Frozen, and it, she always listens to it. She even has a dress, and she puts it on and thinking that she's Frozen. For Elsa? Yes. And I've noticed that there's, that Dulce's mother, she kind of always speaks with a very monotone, flat voice and seems to be lacking any emotion. And I think that's something that's made made a lot of people kind of side-eye her, a lot of people suspicious of her, a lot of people think she's not telling the whole truth. But I honestly think a lot of it has to do with being nervous and young and scared, kind of. It seems like she's doing her best. 
So by September 19th, there was a 20K reward for anyone who had information leading to the identification or conviction of a suspect in Dulce's case. The Cumberland County Prosecutor's Office, Bridgeton Police, State Police, New Jersey Division of Criminal Justice, FBI, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and NCMEC were and still are all involved in the search for Dulce. So a lot of people involved here. Yeah, very quickly. So a day later, on September 20th, the reward had grown to $25,000. Cumberland County Prosecutor Jennifer Webb McRae issued a plea for witnesses to come forward. She said, we're asking them, we're appealing to them, we're encouraging them to come forward. By September 23rd, the reward was at $35,000. Dulce's uncle said, at home there is an emptiness since she hasn't come back. She hasn't hurt anyone. She's only an innocent child who likes to have fun and play games. We don't know why she's disappeared. So as I mentioned before, Dulce's father was deported back to Mexico when she was younger, and police were able to contact him early in the investigation and clear to him in regard to her disappearance. Neither her father, her mother, nor any family members of Dulce's have been named as suspects in her case. Um, On September 24, 2019, Dulce was added to the FBI's most wanted list. On October 3rd, the 911 call made by Dulce's mother on the day she disappeared was released. So we'll play that here. 911, where's your emergency? Um, I can't find my daughter. Okay, when was the last time you seen her? We were there at the park and people said that somebody, probably somebody took her. Okay. How old is she? She's five years old. Okay, and what park are you at? Here in Bridgeton Park. Okay, where at in the Bridgeton Park are you? Um, the one with the basketball court where high school is. Okay, so you're at the basketball courts behind the high school? Yes. Okay. And uh, what was she seeing last wearing? She was wearing, um, um, give me a second. I don't remember what clothes she was wearing, but she was wearing, I just remember her pants. She was wearing like a flower, flowery pants and some heels, some white heels. Okay. Hi, ma'am. Stay in line. I'm going to turn you over to the police, okay? You said she was five, correct? Yes. All right. Hello, ma'am. Hello. Hi. Did you see which direction your child went? No, um, we were in the car. She she came down with my son. They were running to the park, and then me and my sister we came down. But when when, when we got here at the park, she wasn't here. They they said that my son was just crying with his ice cream because uh, somebody um threw his ice cream in the floor, and my daughter just ran away. On October 10th, police released a sketch of a possible witness in the case. The Cumberland County Prosecutor's Office said the sketch was developed after a witness who recently came forward was able. To provide a description, the sketch of this witness is thought to be more representative of the actual suspect than the info that was originally given by a child at the time. The Cumberland County Prosecutor's Office said, We are asking this person or anyone who may recognize him to come forward as investigators wish to speak with him as it is believed that he may have information that is helpful in determining the circumstances that led to Dulce's disappearance. Um, The person has been reported to have been with one or two children under the age of five years old. Authorities said this person was reported to have been wearing a white t-shirt, blue jeans, and in a white baseball hat. He is reported to be Hispanic, approximately 5'7", slender build, aged 30 to 35 years old. 
December 2019 is when Noema was on the Dr. Phil show. Um, She told Dr. Phil, I asked her brother what happened. He just said, because he doesn't know how to speak, he just told me to come. He said somebody called her. Dr. Phil asked Noema if she sold her daughter or knew who was involved in her abduction due to all the, you know, online rumors about that. She said no. When asked if Noema knew who might have taken Dulce, she said an old friend who tried to date her would be her first suspect. She said, last time he saw me, me and my daughter together, and he just waved at me and said hi, and he asked me if that was my daughter, and I said yes. Then Dr. Phil said, he was trying to date you and you rejected him? And she said yes. And Dr. Phil asked, how did he take it? And she said, he just insisted, but I told him no. So over the years, Noema, she's spoken to the media a lot. She told ABC News in June 2021, it's been really hard for me and for my parents knowing that Dulce doesn't appear. Nobody knows where she is. Um, She also said she was a sweet girl, nice, loving. She likes to pretend that she was always a princess. She likes to be around smaller kids. She always likes to give hugs and kisses. Um, She said there isn't a day that she doesn't think about her daughter. And she said, I would love to say to her, I'm sorry for not looking over her. And I saw a clip of that. And when she said that last part, you could tell she gets emotional and upset. So she definitely feels some guilt there. Yeah. One initiative that has been launched following Dulce's disappearance is that the city's police police <laughs> is that the city's police that is a hard thing to say police yeah. athletic league or PAL acronyms launched indoor soccer to help build the relationship between community and police. Richmond police officer Josh Thompson, the director of PAL and 25-year veteran, said the department doesn't want people to feel scared if they have concerns about their legal status and withhold information that could delay in finding Dulce. Local police want residents to know that they should come forward regardless of their legal status. You don't have to worry if you're you don't have to worry about if you're a citizen, they said. Um, Here's a clip from Good Morning America that talks about how this program is helping the community. In the clip, you can hear them talking with Noema and also with the officer, Josh Thompson. After her disappearance, the city's police athletic league, also known as PAL, launched an indoor soccer program to foster trust between the city's large Spanish-speaking immigrant community and the police. For the community, when everything started, they were scared that they were going to get deported because Bridgeton is mostly Mexicans. Bridgeton police officer Josh Thompson says they don't want people to feel scared and withhold information that could delay finding Dulce. Really go out and extend our hand to let you know that we're really behind you. So we offered up some more programs. More than 40 boys and girls regularly attend the soccer practices. The program also offering counseling sessions, GED instruction, and nutrition classes for parents. I play soccer, and it was always like a dream to me to play soccer with a team. In August 2020, one of the lead investigators from the FBI, uh, Special Agent Daniel. Garibrandt, he spoke to New Jersey Advanced Media, and I thought a lot of this information was good because it can also pertain to what may have happened with Michael Vaughn, kind of like general info, but I think it relates to both cases. So this is what he said. He says, if you're looking for a child to take the child, you go where the children are. That's one of the reasons that we believe that the target was a child, but it may not necessarily have been Dulce. We've had cases like this across the country where offenders go to places where children are and they would have access to children and they wait for an opportunity. 
In this case, it was broad daylight, mom being distracted for a short period of time and Dulce and her brother being far enough away that the offender felt like it was an opportunity for him to take Dulce and leave with her, and that's what he did. The playground is located next to a few storage buildings, and the abductor could have parked along the street on the other side of the buildings and waited. The person's intent might not have been to take a kid. It could have been maybe to watch children because that's what they liked, and the opportunity presented itself and they did what they did. I said, there's a probability that the person was younger, a younger Hispanic male. That's because we do have some witnesses that saw a Hispanic male in the park and around the playground that we have not identified. We don't know who that person is, and it's very possible that's the offender. In one description, he was allegedly seen ushering a girl into a red van. So as we, just as an aside, as we talked about earlier, some witnesses said that they thought Dulce may have been put into a red van. So the person who was doing this interview kind of asked him about that. But he said that the the special agent said that that may not be accurate. He said, we have literally gotten thousands and thousands of red van leads. None of them panned out to date. While the playground does not have cameras, agents have spent thousands of hours scrutinizing gigabytes of surveillance video from homes and buildings in the immediate area around the park in search of a suspect vehicle. He said that they've ruled out every vehicle on camera except for about 10 to 12 because of lack of visible license plates or too general of a description. Some of the videos aren't very clear. It's not possible to get out of the park without being picked up on a nearby camera, though, he noted. He said, we believe that in all likelihood, we do have a suspect vehicle on video someplace. So it must be pretty annoying to be like, we can see them, but we can't do much else besides that. Yeah. Um, Like I mentioned before, there's been a lot of rumors with Dulce's case, and they don't really seem to be too much related to her case. Like, a lot of it just seems to be gossip, speculation. So we're not going to get into that too much. Like I said, rumors about the drug cartel, rumors that... Dulce was sold, that the mom isn't telling everything, and that Dulce's in Mexico, and just things like that. One of the most like predominant thing is that people really seem to think that Noema, the mother, knows more than she's saying because she doesn't seem very emotional, just things like that. Like I said before, I think a lot of things feed into that. So in October 2020, there was a big online rumor saying that Dulce had been found deceased. But Cumberland County Prosecutor Jennifer Webb McRae issued an announcement on Facebook that night saying that the post, which it was like a fake post that was made, um, the post that included the office's logo, a photo, a photo of Dulce and a message indicating a press conference would be held when all the details are available. Um, the prosecutor said that that whole thing was fake. Um, and they said she, she included a screenshot of that with the post false information over it very big. And she said, information like this is a distraction to the investigation and causes unnecessary grief to the family of missing child Dulce Maria Alves. Posting false information under the false impression that it comes from a law enforcement agency to cause alarm or harm to a grieving family is reprehensible. So, it's gross that people do it. Like, why would, who has the time to even make this fake post and just be, it's like you're trying so hard to be shitty. Makes you wonder if, I don't know, obviously I don't know who did it, but, you know, if it's someone who has something to do with the investigation and mm. is like, I don't know. Or the person. Thing. Yeah. Who did it. <laughs> it's um not really funny, but like the statement from the county prosecutor where she's written false information. It's basically she's used paint to just write false yeah. information in red. <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't send it to like their graphics person. In the actual text in the original fake, it says, to, <clears throat> to all of Cumberland County, New Jersey. 
It is with great sadness to report that Dulce Alaves has been found deceased. We will hold a press conference when we know all the details. It's got no punctuation, no, like, it's just all, it looks fake. You, you would likely think so if you saw it. You would hope anyway. Someone did that in um, Gabby's case too with something. Yeah, yeah. Those people suck. <laughs> all right, so in September this year, authorities released an age-progressed photo of what Dulce might look like as a seven-year-old. Her birthday is April 25th. This release was made on the second anniversary of her disappearance. Cumberland County Prosecutor Jennifer Webb McRae and British Police Chief Michael Giamari released a joint statement, and they said, Law enforcement continues to pursue all leads in its quest to locate Dulce. We hold out hope that Dulce is alive as we have no evidence of her demise and want the public to know that this case will remain open until such time as we locate Dulce and determine those responsible for her disappearance. Um, so this is a clip of Dulce's mother, Noema, and the grandmother being interviewed by the media, and they're saying that the photo, they don't think the photo looks anything like Dulce. Honestly, I think it's a pretty good rendition of what she might look like. I feel like they've made her a little bit thinner, like she's probably lost a little bit of her, you know, puppy fat by now, and, you know, obviously if she's been abducted, she's probably lost weight. So, yeah, I I think it's close enough, but I guess as a parent, you would know. It must really? be really weird to see. Yeah. As a parent being like, because obviously you're just like, that's not my kid. No. Like, it must be weird to see that. It just must be really uncomfortable for them to like see this photo, knowing that's like what she could look like. It probably just brings up a lot of bad feelings. We asked the mother today what she thought of the image. To be honest, that doesn't look nothing like Dulce. I don't think that her face would have changed a lot. We also showed the image to the child's grandmother. Well, I give thanks to the authorities, but that doesn't look anything like my granddaughter. Back on April 25th, on the little girl's birthday, her father, Edgar Perez, who was deported and lives in Mexico, posted a video of her taken before she disappeared on YouTube. He sang a song wishing her a happy birthday. He said he had nothing to do with her disappearance and has no idea where she is, but believe she would be found soon. So as of today, Dulce is still missing. She is described as three feet. Well, she would be taller now, but at the time she was described as three feet, three foot five with brown eyes, brown hair. She was last seen wearing a yellow shirt with an elephant on it, black and white pants and white shoes. Tips can be called into the New Jersey State Police Missing Persons Unit at 609-882-2000, extension 2554 or the Bridgeton Police. Anyone with information can also dial 1-800-CALL-FBI and select option four, followed by option eight. I don't Love make it easy. People give me I the just, option. Why don't I just say, call this number? He's like, shit, what option do I press? <laughs> you know, well, at least they give you the options. You have yeah. to sit there and listen to them. Yeah, sure. Listen all the way to option eight. <laughs> um, so again, this is another mysterious one. She just kind of vanished into thin air, it seems. I mean, I think, again, this seems like a rander stranger abduction and kind of relates back to what we were saying with Michael Vaughn, in a sense. If you're a pedophile, and what the FBI agent was saying, if you're a pedophile, you're out there looking to watch kids to be a creep. If you want to abduct kids, playground seems like a pretty solid place where you're going to be able to watch kids or take kids. Yeah. So maybe not be as noticed. Like if you're sitting in a car... A little bit away mm-hmm. from a kid it's not you know people aren't going to say what are you doing or anything like that it's yeah and if it was if it is that guy that they suspect and have the sketch up they said that he was also with two kids so that would automatically make people not suspicious of him and even make like a little kid like dual say maybe think it's safer because he has kids yeah 
Michael Vaughn, like maybe a person had seen him going out in the neighborhood by himself a lot, kind of made him a target. I don't, I haven't really heard if they, if Dulce and her family had gone to this park often. I'd imagine it wouldn't be their first time at a local park. Maybe they'd been there a few times. Maybe a person or predator kind of saw that this was a young mom with a lot of kids to keep an eye on, was pretty distracted, saw an opportunity or situation that he could easily take advantage of. I'm saying he, but, you know, could be a she, but yeah, likely to be a he. This, the sketch is a he, so I'm going to go with that. <laughs> but yeah, seems like it was definitely a kind of a crime of opportunity, and even the FBI is saying that as well. Um, and I did see on Reddit, or a lot of people say about the mom also, is like, why would she just stay in the car while they ran around out of sight? Again, yeah. sure, like... It's, do you know what things you never like things are always okay until all of a sudden they're not maybe she's done it before like I'm not saying it was the right parenting behavior to you know exhibit but maybe she did done it before maybe she felt comfortable enough that she could see them or be there in a second if she couldn't see them like you know there's a million reasons why you know yeah. I, I, like I, yeah. I I agree especially a three-year-old I don't know if I'd be letting a three-year-old run and play where you couldn't see them but um but again yeah. not not that it's an excuse but it seems like she's very young we've said it before, you just don't think it's ever going to happen to you. Not that it makes her not watching them right, but it's yeah. just kind of like a sad mistake that happened. Yeah. 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 I did see people online saying, someone said, I grew up maybe a half hour from where this occurred. It's not a safe area. Someone said, I worked in a pharmacy there with a bullet hole in the drive through window. Good times. People said, sounds like the perfect place to sit in the car with your kids playing alone. So also seems like it may not be a great area. We had some questions and comments on this case from our Instagram followers. Brandy W said, I live 20 minutes from where she was taken. We all think the mother sold her. Um, again, I guess possible, but I feel like probably not. Um, I just feel like there, the police would have figured that out by now because there would have had to have been some sort of communication somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And it happened in such a short span of time, like between 4 and 4.50. Like yeah. how, that they coordinated, like, we're going to go to the park. She's going to run over to the swings. And this person who I'm selling her to is going to be there in abductor. And it all worked out perfectly. And like, there would have to be some sort of communication trail, I would think. Yeah, you would think so. I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. I really never believe in that stuff. Another Instagram follower, Rachel, she wrote, has the reason behind the strange way the New Jersey case was handled by authorities ever been disclosed? So I wrote back and asked her for some more information on what she thought was strange. She wrote, that is an area where you definitely don't let your kids out of your sight, let alone sit in your vehicle while they are on the playground. She went missing mid-September, but a possible sketch wasn't released until October. While every other child abduction case involves getting as much information to the public as quickly as possible. Her mother contacted family members to come to the park and help look for Dulce before con contacting police. In every interview I've seen, her mother just seems really odd given her demeanor. I feel like we've covered a lot of that in terms of maybe the language barrier and the mother being young. I don't personally think the sketch timing is super long, like it may be a few weeks, but I guess that they I wanted to be sure of, of who they were sketching before they released it. And I saw in, I think it's the Dr. Phil interview that they did, there wasn't really Dulce's mother said that the only other people really at the park were other kids so and i think one of the agents said they got this information from kids somewhere yes, that i read uh, yeah. so it could make it a little harder to make a sketch and kind of get the accurate information out of children so that could be something that fed into it and i also don't think it's particularly strange that the mother called her family first because 
that she probably I knew, and she probably knew that she'd done the wrong thing by letting them go by themselves. Like, and you know, again, you would never think at that stage that this is a stranger abduction. You think she's wandered off and gotten lost, and just call, you know, call mum and dad and get them to come and help, especially if they live close by, which they seem to. So I don't think that's strange. She probably should have called the police first, but I guess, you know, she never knew the extent that this would go She's on She's only for. 19. Yeah, and pregnant like, and got two other kids to look after too. Like, yeah. yeah. And I'm 30 years old, almost 31. Half the time when anything goes wrong, I call my mom immediately. I'm like, mom, what do I do? I mean, I've never been in a situation where something like this has happened, but I just, even if it was me, I'd be like at least texting my mom being like, oh my God, I can't find so-and-so or something's happening. I don't know. It's just, it's like your, your comfort response kind of. Like if this your happened to me, know what to do. And I was at a park with my kids. I would ring my husband first. Like I know her husband is maybe, yeah. a dude, but then essentially she had no partner, I don't think. So maybe her parents were her next, you know, they were joint, they were joint guardians of the children. So I feel like that's not super strange. Like there's maybe a lot of she should have done this, she could have done this, but we all don't know how you'd react in that situation. For sure. There's another case that's very current that we've been covering on our social media, but it hasn't gotten much traction online. There's a missing child called Lena Kihill. She's three years old. She went missing from a playground in San Antonio, Texas on December 20, 2021. So we're now at, you know, nearly 12 days 10 or 12 days since she disappeared. Her mother has said that she stepped away from watching Lena for a few minutes to get water. And when she got back, the child was nowhere to be seen. Her parents have never been so sad, which is what they told the media through an interpreter. It has badly affected us. The search is now in its second week and police have spared no resources to find her. They've used helicopters, searched trunks of cars and FBI are involved. There is already a $150,000 reward offered by the city and the Islamic Center of San Antonio. Even though they've used all these kind of resources, police have said that they're not treating her disappearance as an abduction, which is interesting because there is an Amber Alert for her, So, but it's not an abduction. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what the rules are anymore yeah. for an Amber Alert. But they're treating it as a missing person case. Police Chief William McManus said officers would conduct the search the same way in either scenario but don't have any evidence that someone took her. They've said that her parents are co- cooperating with the investigation. And just before reporting, uh, reporting, recording, I had a quick look if there was any more updates to talk about, and there haven't been any for 24 hours, which seems like a lot for so, like a lot of time to go past for no updates in such a current case. And there um, was a, a lot of uh, a lot of like small updates quickly at first. Yeah. So the FBI are still involved. They have a child abduction rapid deployment team along with forensic examiners working on the case, and they say they are still receiving tips, which I would hope so after 10 or 11 days. They should be receiving <laughs> tips. Not Like still, why are you using the word still? Like we're still. <laughs> it hasn't been very long. Um, they've narrowed down an 18-minute window between 4.49 p.m. and 5.07 p.m. where there is no sign of Lena by individuals or on cameras in the area. So Lena's four foot tall. She weighs 55 pounds with brown eyes, brown hair, and a light complexion. She was seen wearing a red dress, black jacket, and black shoes. And police want anyone with information to give them a call, and they can remain anonymous if they'd like. Yeah. So there's not a ton of information out about that one yet. It's still pretty current, but it is. it reminded me of what happened with Dulce in a lot yeah, of ways, like at a playground, out of sight for a minute. So, yeah, that's very sad. <laughs> but yeah, we've been posting about this one a lot on our Instagram as well. Um, I wouldn't, it's not getting like mainstream news attention yet, but it's definitely a big case in the local area. Like a lot of people have been sending it to us. Um, a lot of the like kind of more known crime 
reporters on Twitter have been posting it. So people are pushing for more attention for this one as well. I actually just had a look to see if there was any updates. And there is one since we've started recording, but it's nothing major. It says that they did find a bag of bones, um, but the bones are not connected to Lena's case because they appear to be old. So yeah, I would think... I would would hope that. (laughs) I would think in 10 days that she probably wouldn't be skeletonized. But, you know, anyway, police have already said that they are not connected. So All right. So if there's any updates on anything we'll put in the clips but that is all the information we have on their cases right now um we'll be interested to hear what you guys think about these ones so as always follow us on instagram so you can message us let us know what you think we'll repost some things you guys send us we're always posting updates there we have our forum at truecrimesociety.com where people post a bit more anonymously there's a lot of good information there even if you just want to go there to read some rabbit holes get sucked in if you're bored if you have covid and you're stuck home plenty of things to read there (laughs) um leave us a lovely review on apple if you haven't and now on spotify you can give us a rating so if you listen on spotify please give us five stars we would appreciate that greatly we're at 4.9 average on spotify so that's like who ruined it Um, 95 reviews already on spotify that's so lovely (laughs) and if you are listening to the podcast right now and you don't mind sharing it to your instagram we always appreciate that helps us spread the word we'll reshare it when you guys are doing that and posting like hey i love this podcast and we share it because a lot a lot of our instagram followers don't listen to the podcast but then when we share what you guys say when you guys are like i love this podcast people are more likely to be like hey maybe i should check it out so big help to us when you guys do that (laughs) And I'll do a blog for each of the cases today, Lena, Michael, and Dolce. So make sure you check them out. We'll put all the clips up if you want to watch them. And I know some people have said, my, you know, my cousin doesn't like podcasts. Can she read about that? So that's what the blog is for. You can, um, you know, it's basically not a transcript, but all the information we talk about in the podcast episodes are in the blog. Mm-hmm. But you should peer pressure them to listen to podcasts. <laughs> but yeah, that is it. And we will talk to you guys in episode number two of 2022 next week. Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. We will have a happy new year. For all of us. Yeah. 2022. It's going to be a great year for all of us. I'm confident. All right. Talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.